Okay, thank you for that vision of, of what the world will be like, God. Not, we, don't, we don't pretend, God, that, that somehow we are Israel. We are people who are lost and who, through your chosen people, you grafted us in. You made us a part of something much bigger than just an ethnic group, much bigger than just a political entity. You made us a part of the church of Jesus Christ. God, over two billion people around the earth. And so we're grateful for our small corner of that today, God. We're grateful that, that wherever your Holy Spirit is, wherever two or more are gathered, there is your church, God. And that church has everything it needs to fulfill your purposes to represent the kingdom of God to the world. So, God, it it is a great prayer today as we open your word, as we try and understand what happened back then, God, 2,000 years ago, so that we can understand what's happening right now. We, We covet your presence. We pray your Holy Spirit's prompting. We ask you, God, to fill us to overflowing, with yourself. And then God, as we saw this week, we have no idea what the next moment will hold, much less the next week or month or year. But God, we covenant to walk it with you. And God, just as yesterday we prayed, we, we ask your blessing on all those who, who right now are experiencing such significant loss. God, Many through illness. I think of Florence Spillman right now struggling in the hospital with COVID. I think of her daughter Sandy at home with COVID. God, there are many who are struggling right now physically, God, and need your healing touch. Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are all about healing. God, we recognize also that many more of us struggle with woundedness, God. Somewhere along the line, um, things happened through us or to us, God, that left us thinking that somehow you could not dwell in our hearts, that you would not find your home in us. Oh, God, forgive us our sins, for they are many. Thank you that... Jesus died on the cross so that we would not have to carry that heavy burden. But God, even as we pray so often in the Lord's Prayer, God, grant us through your Holy Spirit the the ability to forgive those who have hurt and wounded us. God, even those who were no longer alive and yet we still carry the burden From that pain. And God, I just pray by your Holy Spirit that you would free us from our chains. That you would allow forgiveness to flow. Tears to fall. Healing to happen. So that nothing, God, nothing would hinder the advance of your kingdom through us. And then God, especially this day, God, to think of All those Jews who had gathered in Jerusalem, many of them cultural Jews, many of them going through the motions of religion rather than experiencing an actual relationship with you. 
And then you give them a front row seat, God, on what a living relationship with God, what God dwelling in us permanently looked like. And, and God, they were caught to the quick to do it again with your Holy Spirit. Cut through all the layers of protection. Cut through those well-worn calluses on our hearts, God, which keep us from feeling pain, yes, but which keep us also from, from feeling your presence, from experiencing your love which keep us from being your instruments in a world that so desperately needs you. Minister to us, even as we gather, would you? Pour out your Holy Spirit. Search us, O oh God. Bring to the surface any fears, any doubts, any self-condemnation, any of the lies of the evil one that would keep us from encountering you here today. And, and God, having them removed, allow us to revel in your presence. God, breathless from our praise just a few moments ago, we invite you to breathe in us new life. And we ask it this special day, this Pentecost day, in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. Wow, we have a very full day today, so I invite you to go right to the Word of God, however you access that. If you have your Bibles with you, open them, would you, to the book of Acts. Uh, if you have your phones with you, punch in Acts chapter 2, chapter 2. While you're turning there, I'll just remind you that, well, first of all, the, the New Testament is that last fourth of your Bible and starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus. But then it really it really um, goes next to a biography of the church of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is indeed the head of the church, the book of Acts is the biography of the church, really of the Holy Spirit working through the people of God to transform their culture. So we're so blessed to be able to go to that very word, together today in Acts. We're going to actually pick up a couple of different sections of it, and I'll call them out as we go. We're going to begin again uh, in Acts chapter 2. I've already read for you the part leading up to um, the question, what does this mean? Let me pick it up at verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Now, remember, if anybody would have learned by human experience not to lift up his voice, it would have been Peter, right? But something has changed. We know what it is. God's promise has come true. Peter has been filled with the Holy Spirit, and there is no comparison. There is no comparison. Oh, men of Judea, he said. And all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. For these people that you see before you are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered, what was prophesied through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons 
and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. I will pour, uh, in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And he goes on to, to describe what will happen in that ultimate time when he comes again. But then he picking up at verse 21, he says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Peter speaks expressly into their hearts, speaking. Remember, we had to say you've got to go back to the point of pain. You've got to walk with Jesus back to that place of failure. Do you remember that? And, and he takes them back to their place of failure. And, and, and it's incredible the response that the people have, right? I'm picking it up in verse 36. He's ending his, his message and he says, Let all the house of Israel, remember these are all Jews before him, some cultural Jews, some devout Jews, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Wow. Wow. Don't pull any punches here, Peter, right? Wow. And look at the response. Now, when they heard this, they were caught to the heart. Probably a better translation might be stung. They were stung. Their hearts were stung. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, don't miss that. It wasn't just Peter. And the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, remember the promise of the Father? Wait, wait, Jesus said, for the promise of the Father. For the promise in verse 39 is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And, and Luke now continues, and with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. About 3,000 souls. The very word of God. Thank you. Thank you, God, for your word. When we begin to lose our way, God, your word speaks to us and calls us back to what is true. When we get confused, God, and can no longer discern between what is your will and what is the will of our own flesh or of, of the world around us or of the evil one, God, your Holy Spirit speaks and calls us back to your word. So I pray now, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
Well, um, we're touching for some of us what might be very familiar ground. Um, this is one of those high holy days. In fact, I, I don't have time, but I would just make a case for saying this might be the most important one, right? You say, wait a second. I mean, Garden of Gethsemane was pretty important. Absolutely. Uh, resurrection was pretty important, right? But those things all exist for this. That the kingdom of God might come in power and that we might join him in his kingdom. So we're going back to some very familiar uh, ground of, of Pentecost. But, but I just ask that you would open your eyes and, and maybe just allow God to speak to you some truth that you might not have seen before. Let's pick up a story for just a second, right? Do you remember that they... Uh, Jesus walked among them for 40 days and he taught them about the kingdom of God. And then last week we just kind of celebrated that 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 right before their eyes, he had he told them, you're going to be my witnesses. Excuse me for the shortcut. Your plan A. I have no plan B. And then he ascended to the right hand of God, the father. We learned later that that's where he's praying for us right now. And he and he said, Wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And they waited and nothing happened. And they prayed and nothing happened. And three days went by and four days went by. He said in a few days and five days went by. And we, we plumbed together how hard it is to wait on God's perfect timing. But they were together ten days later. And I don't know that they made the connection that we're going to make today that in God's Kairos moment, he was waiting for this now celebration, this time when Jews from all over the world came back 50 days after the last time they'd been in Jerusalem. They came back to Jerusalem to celebrate together that the whole harvest had come in. Let me just stop for a second to understand the sequence of events here that that on Passover, they celebrated their deliverance from bondage, Right. And on, on Passover, Jesus took bread and he took the Passover cup and, and he invited them to be freed from the bondage of their sin, right? He took that sin upon himself on Good Friday and on another Jewish holiday, on the festival of the first fruits, which was the first day of the week following the Passover. And the first day of the week is always a... Sunday and on Resurrection Day, which was also the festival of the first fruits, Jesus Christ, the first fruit of resurrection, rose from the dead. The first fruit, right? And 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 they they had a front row seat on this miracle of God. Now, now, 50 days later, on the time when all of Israel came together again to to gather and to celebrate God's gracious provision that, yes, they risked giving him their first fruits of their crop before the whole crop was in. Now the whole crop was in. They came and, and they celebrated on this day when they celebrated the whole harvest. God gave them 3,000 new souls, right? Wow. That number might be, might ring a bell for you, Right? Because in the wilderness, in those 40 days in the wilderness, when the people of God, 40 years in the wilderness, in the first 40 days, the people of God had turned away from 
God and sacrificed to a, a golden calf, right? And 3,000 people were taken from them. Now, and celebrating the harvest, 3,000 are given back, right? 3,000 are given back. The, the, the down payment, as it were, on the harvest that is still taking place today, maybe in this room. Maybe for you in your living room at home, the harvest that's taking place today. Well, what does it look like? Crazy. Crazy, right? Now, it says they're in a house, and it's really not clear, because that same word for house can, can also um, be used for temple. So we're not sure if they were in the temple. I'm kind of leaning toward that myself, because, because there's 120 of them in there, and my house can't handle 120. I got about 30 in my dorm room once, but that was closest I've come to Pentecost, right? And, and so very possible they were in the temple and and all of a sudden came the sound of a rushing wind. Right. I mean, we're talking about a big sound. How do we know that? Because later it tells us that people all over Jerusalem heard it and they began making their way. What do you do in Jerusalem? You make your way probably to the temple. And they began making their way. But, but it wasn't just an auditory thing. They also, the disciples, now the 120 that were gathered, saw this strange phenomenon. And I, I can't, I, I'm not industrial light and magic. I can't, I can't even imagine what that looked like. But they describe it like these tongues of fire. If you've been mesmerized by a fire around, you know, in a fire pit or something, these tongues of fire came and a lit, I'm making a wish. I'm sorry. I rebuked me. Okay. There we go. They, they alit on, on the disciples, right? And, and so they, they heard something. They saw something. And they felt something. Right? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak. Don't. Don't fear this. This is very clear. They spoke in the languages of the people who were there. It actually, the passage we skipped, describes all the places that they were from. At least nine, maybe twelve places they were from. At least nine languages, maybe more. They were speaking in languages they didn't know. And that is a little weird, right? Uh, we've talked before about what happens when you're traveling in a foreign country and, 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 and all of a sudden uh, you hear your native tongue, right? I'm thinking a gas station in uh, either gas station or convenience store, Karen, in Italy. And, and they were giving us a hard time. They, they knew English and they were refusing to speak it, right? They were just working us over. And, and rightly so. We were guests in their country. And then all of a sudden somebody said, can I help you? You know, thank you. I wanted to go just give them a great big hug, right? And just hearing my mother tongue. Now imagine for a second that you're hearing not just the language, but you're hearing about the greatness of God in your mother tongue. Well, I've got to pick up the speed here for a second, but I highlighted in my Bible the words that, that Luke used to describe them. He used bewildered. He used amazed. He used astonished, right? They're, they're saying, aren't these, aren't these like Galileans, uneducated Galileans? How are they speaking in all these languages, right? And then down in verse 12, it says they were not only amazed, but they were perplexed. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm perplexed, um, I have to try and solve the problem. I have to try and come up with some explanation that lets me lay that perplexity down, at least temporarily, right? And some did. Some could not handle it, and so they just went to default. It probably was a reflection of their own experiences, but they said, oh, these guys are just drunk. They're drunk, right? Now, in fairness, they're not far off, right? Because... We, we read in, in Ephesians, right? Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, but, but be filled with the Spirit, right? Isn't that interesting? And, and actually, a more accurate translation of that would probably be, if you just went word for word, would be get drunk, just don't use wine, right? So there's no slam on them that this looked like, I don't know, this looked like they've had too much to drink, right? But some didn't try and fill in the blanks. Some didn't come up with a worldly explanation of what they were seeing. Some asked. Some asked the question, what does this mean? Right? And again, I just want to press pause and say, disciples, don't ever fear to ask, what does this mean? Right? Um, God honors that. We celebrated in the parable of the soils that God honors those who ask questions. To those who ask, who come back and say, what are you talking about? He says, to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, right? In the parable of the soil. So, so don't ever fear asking some of them in the midst of their astonishment, in the midst of their amazement, in the midst of their uh, perplexity. Uh, brought those to the surface. They risked asking the questions. I'm picking up my notes if you'd like to follow along. Two powerful questions that they asked over the course of this huge passage. First of all, what does this mean? What does it mean? And if I could, I'm just going to kind of speed dial and, and take from Peter's response, from the testimony of the disciples, really apostles at this point, the sent ones, um, as some answers to that question. What does it mean? It means that the Spirit had come in power, right? I'm looking at my notes because I switched these. Nope, I didn't switch them in the notes. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to take them out of order. I changed them at the last minute because I wanted to emphasize something differently. But I'll take it in the order that you have it. It means that the promise of the Father is fulfilled. While he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait, right? And then in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So, so what happened here? Um, God had promised that in just a few days they would be filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit came. The Spirit came. Now, the Spirit had been active prior to Pentecost, right? We see it all over. I'm going to pull just a couple of reminders, but, but from, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation, the Spirit is active. But he had been active in creation, Genesis 1. In the Old Testament history, a couple of examples in Judges 6 and 1 Samuel 16. He'd been so active from Jesus' birth, really, before his birth, but especially the beginning of his ministry, uh, in the life and ministry of Jesus, Luke 1 and following, Luke 4. But, but something was different now. The Holy Spirit had been active, but something was different now. There would be two changes. 
The Spirit would dwell in people and not just on them. Earlier this week, I was preaching this passage out of at one of the nursing homes, and and um, and I just reminded. Remember Samson? That guy was a mess. That guy was a mess. You would not let your daughter date Samson, right? Um, uh, David, <laughs> King David, for all of his heart, his body was often in the wrong place, doing the wrong things, right? Why? Because the Holy Spirit would come upon them and they would have these moments of greatness. But remember David's prayer, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He was longing for something, beloved, which you get to experience now. He was longing for that time when the Holy Spirit would permanently dwell in them, right? And not just on them. And that presence would be permanent, would be permanent. Right now, some of you are saying, wait a second, sometimes I feel his presence, sometimes I don't. It's not because he's not there. Right? When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that gift is permanent. Right? So Spirit came, but the Spirit also baptized. Now remember, in our study of that word, baptizo, it has two meanings, right? One kind of literal and one figurative. The literal one is to immerse, to immerse. And we've been anchoring ourselves in that word. Immerse yourself now. Take the cap off the bottle. Remember that? Let yourself be filled with the Spirit by immersing yourself in. In him, but it also means to be identified with. When we are baptized in water, we identify with Jesus Christ who gave his life on the cross for us. We say, I choose, how did Paul put it in Galatians? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? And when we're baptized with the Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, then we are identifying now with the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of earth. We're identifying now with God's sovereign purposes for our life, His presence through His Holy Spirit with us. So the Spirit came and the Spirit baptized, but but the Spirit also filled them with power. That's that word dunamis, right? We get the word dynamite from that. He, he filled them with power in Acts 1-4. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? To do what Jesus had commanded them to do. Remember? You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You will be my representation for witness, but also for service. Thanks again for all of you who served Jesus. Those of you who are going to serve this week at VBS, those of you who were out tirelessly making breakfast for the poor yesterday, thank you. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself, it's hard to scrape myself out of bed, to scrape myself out of the chair, to say, I'm God, I'm going I'm to live this day for you. The Holy Spirit empowers us for, serve, for service as well as witness. So what's the difference between being baptized in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit? One way of understanding it is this. The baptism of the Spirit means I belong to His body. 
right? I'm immersed not only in the Spirit, but in God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. In other words, I'm joining all those who by faith in Jesus Christ have, have, have become a part of the body of Christ. I'm joining them. I belong to someone. But also, the, full, the filling or the fullness of the Spirit means that my body belongs to Him. Do you see that? The baptism of the Spirit, that once for all time when the Spirit comes to permanently indwell us, means that I belong to His body. The filling of the Spirit, which happens multiple times, even in a day, right? The filling of the Spirit means that my body is His. And because they surrendered their bodies to Him, they were filled with that power, and now the Spirit spoke through them. Peter's a, a, a wonderful example, but again, note those places where he says, and all the apostles, they were all doing this, right? They all came out of whatever house or temple that was and were speaking about the greatness of God. My suspicion, this is all day right here, is that they didn't know that they were speaking in other people's tongues, right? They didn't, they didn't realize that they were just worshiping the greatness of God. And I can't say that without remembering that song, The Goodness of God. Right? We sing that together. His greatness is his goodness. Right? And they were singing about they were speaking about it to everyone who was there in Jerusalem. Now the scripture tells us that they were speaking in tongues that they did not know, right? And people were hearing the greatness of God in in words that they did not know. They spoke of the glory and greatness of God, but then they were also um, speaking about um, exactly what Jesus had told them. They're speaking about their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it means, it means for us that the Spirit uh, speaks through us. It means that the Spirit fills us with power. It means that the Spirit immerses us in the Trinity, God Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. It means that the Spirit had come, but it meant something else too. And this is, this is so glorious. It meant that God's word is true. Let's be honest, right? How many times have you come across a passage and you thought, oh, that one won't fly in my office water cooler, right? And you've been tempted to um, somehow diminish truth because it was um, not culturally acceptable at the time, right? And And... And fear took over and you begin to capitulate to the false truths of the world rather than the truth of Jesus Christ. Right? The coming of the Holy Spirit means that God's word is true. Not just, not just uh, the promise of the Father, but what did, what did Peter quote? He began to quote Joel and in Joel chapter 2, he said, This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be that God said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and they will prophesy. And that was happening right before their eyes. I don't have time, but beloved, if you've not come to that place where you have been able to say, I trust and believe that God's word is true. It is living, it is active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's worthy of my trust. Beloved, I just invite you, borrow that. Step out in faith and borrow it. 
and then live into the truth that is ours, right? Just those few verses, though, had several truths for us. These are the last days. Now, in fairness, the last days started then, right? They started with the resurrection of Jesus. The author of Hebrews affirms that. These are the last days. And we're living that tension between God might not be coming for for years to come, for generations, or he might come tomorrow. We have to live in that tension. But I don't know about you. I don't want to get caught when the Lord returns, having held back anything. Tried to protect myself or provide for myself. I don't want to come to that day and have in my hands things which do not translate into eternity. I want to live as becomes one who knows they're in the last days. Second thing, though, is that every single one of us has a role to play in those last days, right? What did they do? They prophesied. Please, I've got to go over this ground again with you because when we hear prophesy, we always hear future telling, right? But that's not the biblical understanding of the world. We, we've studied that before. To prophesy is to foretell God's word, right? Not necessarily foretell the future. To foretell God's word. Now, sometimes God's word is foretelling the future. But your responsibility is not to figure out whether this is still to come or not. Your responsibility is to speak. To speak the very words of God and trust that His Holy Spirit will take those words and use them for His purposes. Again, what are we foretelling? The greatness of God. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. We're telling also what we know to be true. The truth of His Word. Oh, there's so much more, beloved. In this passage, and I just really invite you, we, we introduce you to a passage on, on the Lord's Day. I just invite you to go back, go back in his word. Some of you will do that in the next hour. Go back in his word and let it speak to you. There's such richness here. But as the worship team comes up, I, wanna, I just want to um, look at that second question. The first one, remember, what does this mean? The second question that perceptive ones asked when Peter was speaking was, what must I do if I risk by faith believing that what you're saying is true, Peter? That in fact, it was me, it was my sin that crucified Jesus, right? It was the love of Christ that sent him to that cross so that I might not have to bear that sin any longer. If, if Peter, that's true, then what do I need to do? And he just reminded us some very powerful truths. Change your mind. Think differently. Metanoia means a transformation of your mind. Actually, the word repent comes from a Latin word. Our English comes from a Latin pentir, which, which means to think again or to think, right? And then to put a re in front of it means to do it again. Think again, beloved. Think again about your life. Think again about those places that you have carved out where you have protected yourself and, and you have no longer put yourself out where you're going to be hurt or where, where maybe physically, emotionally, or spiritually someone can get to you. And think again about the source of your life. Peter, 
Let that be the Holy Spirit, not your fears. Let that be the Holy Spirit. So turn, beginning with a, a, a changing of your mind and then a changing of your will, your heart, and changing of your actions. Turn, turn from your self-sufficiency and trust in Christ. But then I want to say also, Peter says, be baptized. Now, unfortunately, way back when the King James translated it for, and people began to think that you're, you are baptized so that you can be saved. Uh, and, and it's a mistranslation of the, of the word. Um, because you are saved, then be baptized as an expression to the world. Now, he's talking about being baptized with water. Live out your faith before the world. Witness to what God has done in you. But then secondly, then secondly, be immersed in the Holy Spirit. Take the cap off. Let him fill you over and over again to overflowing so that when you go back out there tomorrow night, precious servants of, of all of that who are doing the vacation Bible school, let what you do tomorrow night be out of the overflow of what God is doing in your life. When you go back to that workplace tomorrow, you know, let it be out of the overflow of your life. Let God work through you, right? Repent and be baptized. And it's so odd that he would say this. Um, but he says, receive. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the, the, the language is so powerful, right? And the implication is that it can be sitting right there and, and you don't necessarily open it. Right? God has given you all the resources of eternity. And at least... Speaking for myself, I still choose to live out of my own stupid little thought processes, right? I couldn't think of a word fast enough, sorry. Um, yeah. Receive this greatest gift humanity has ever been given. The very presence of God in your life. While I was... While I was... Um, Doing this, I was so so blessed, right? And I I realized. Go ahead and and flash Vic Havner's quote up on the screen. I realized I'm not going to change the world by criticizing it. Uh, several of us get together for Bible studies on on uh, on uh, Thursday morning, and the place is full of little men's groups, right? Little men like to get up early. I guess they wake up early. They go down and have and and they and they have these little um, little is about what's wrong with the world, right? Never going to change it by criticizing it, right? But it's not going to change it by conforming to it either. Havner says, what's going to change the world? The combustion within it of lives that have been ignited by the Spirit of God. Tongues of fire alighting on us and, and setting our church on fire. I'm sorry. Do you remember that? We did. We did set the church on fire once, um, on Pentecost, um, literally. But, but we're thinking of it figuratively. Let God set your life on fire and, and watch what he does, what he does. Right? 3,000 were added to their, soul, to their number that, that very day. Oh, God, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. 
Thank you that your Holy Spirit meets us and provides everything that we need for life and for love and to fulfill the purposes of your kingdom. God, as we come to your table, would you meet us in these elements? We remember Jesus in these elements. But God, we also, as even as we partake of them, we invite you to fill us with your presence, to overflowing. God, we will give you the praise. We will give you the glory. God, nothing is more important to us than you, our living hope.